This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Elodie Pullen, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Yeah, really. I'm really excited about this conversation. Elodie is a podcaster and influencer. In 2020, her partner of eight years, world champion snowboarder Alex Chummy Pullen died in a tragic spearfishing accident. So, so sorry. She then made the difficult decision to harvest his sperm and have the baby they both wanted. And their daughter, Minnie, was born 15 months later. So, Elodie's memoir is called Heartstrong. It's a powerful and moving read about love, loss, and finding a way to keep going in the darkest of times. I've got to say, Elodie, I was really nervous about reading this. My mother died in April and I thought, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to go back to full-on grief. Will this take me there? But there are certainly some very sad moments and dark moments for you, but it's also so happy and uplifting. Yeah. First of all, I'm so sorry about your mum. Thank um, you. Yeah, I guess it is quite a roller coaster where it starts off beautiful and then it literally just gets so as tragic as can be. And then we kind of have this nice bittersweet ending. But also I, I don't I, I don't say the word ending because there's no ending. I'm never gonna not be grieving Chump and missing him and wanting him. And you know, it's not that Minnie brings him back, his daughter, obviously, but she certainly keeps me going because mm-hmm literally just you know she's just a firecracker and she's a baby and she needs me and like it's just you got to keep moving mm. uh 15 months is she 15 months old how old she's, is she she's what is she now she'd be um one in a she's like 13 months old I guess yeah. oh right okay is she walking Oh, she's about to start walking. She's yeah. so like pulling herself up on everything. Yeah, it's so cute. It's really cute. I really love that time. And the other time I like is like when the language starts to come. That's really, really cute as well. Yeah. It's so divine. So I want to go back to where you'd like to start telling me the story because it is a massive decision and I want to know how you make that decision in that moment of grief and then how do you find a life to live with that decision afterwards. But go back to your relationship and just just tell us about what a wonderful person Chumpy was. (laughs) That's pretty easy. He's just one of those people that when you meet him you just feel like, you know, he's so warm and welcoming. He just gives you that energy like he cares. He wants to know about you like he's. I felt that in even reading the book. Yeah, he's just like he's got a way about him and it's kind of hard to explain. He's just got a beautiful presence mm-hmm. and, like, everyone feels it. Like, you kind of just have to walk past him to feel it. It's really cool. He's definitely unique. Um, So we just kind of fell madly in love just really quickly and, like. How old were you when you fell in love? I was 20. He was 25. Yeah. And the timing was probably not right for us. We'd actually just both gotten out of other relationships. So, like, we both just kind of wanted to do our own thing, really. And um, we just kind of met one night and hit it off. 
And we literally were inseparable ever since. Aside from him having to travel to snowboard, we moved in together straight away. We bought our place. We then bought a house up on the Gold Coast. Like, so we lived together for about six years and then we were always looking for the perfect place to buy like, and set up our family and everything. So we moved to the Gold Coast because we found the perfect home and we had friends up here. And we're both pretty cruisy. We're smooth sailing relationship, like not, you know, just like fun loving, like did fun holidays and just, we just get each other. We just, you know, like love, love was easy really with Chump. We always wanted to start our family. So we started trying for a baby in about 20, 2018. So once we moved up into our house in 2018, we got a dog, started trying for a baby because we had this big family house and and he was about to wrap up snowboarding. So it was kind of like the next chapter for us. Mm-hmm. And you know what? One day he just went out spearfishing and like literally just didn't come home. That was in 2020. I hadn't fallen pregnant. I have a low egg count. So we were always about to do IVF. IVF was like literally the next step for us. We were talking to the doctors and everything. So basically there was this, one of my best friends had heard of harvesting sperm after a person's passed away and no one else in my, like no one else, we'd had not heard of it at all, but straight away his parents were with me and they knew that we'd been wanting a baby. And it was just this crazy like prospect that I guess that we had kind of given to us. And we just thought, all right, well, if we don't do it now, we can't make the decision to go and have his baby in like six months or 12 months or three years or whatever. Like, you know, it's kind of something we have to act on right now because we were in so much shock, but he did just pass away. Like he was no longer there. And as hard as that was to fathom, we just had to really be realistic in that moment and go, all right, we've got a few hours. I I don't know how you did that. That that is just such a massive decision in a moment where you're I don't know how you felt, but it, you know, grief is almost an out-of-body experience, don't you think? It was, it was such an out-of-body experience. Honestly, yeah. I was in shock that I wasn't actually. Yeah. I I literally do remember looking at myself from above and, like, watching myself walk around the house and just, like, mm. be mm. so mindless. It was just absolutely. Do you know that moment in the in the book when you talk about going to pick up his parents from the airport? Oh yeah. Oh and I just thought how did she get in that car and start that car? I don't know how I drove that next day to go and get them. I I literally don't. It was just the most bizarre. I remember driving and going like how how's the car moving? How is Mm -hmm. how are other cars on the road moving? How are people doing their normal day Mm -hmm. chunk? He's not here. Mm -hmm. But like that also this you're in so much shock that you don't really know what's real and what's not. So I don't think any part of me really believed that he was gone. Mm. It honestly took over six months for me to really believe or realise that he's not coming back because I'm Mm. used to being away. So I didn't, I knew his parents were flying up because this tragedy had just happened, obviously, but you kind of don't realise that he's like dead Mm. and I could Mm. never fathom fathom that word, you know, Mm. because still it still is really hard to even say it's like this crazy limbo where you don't know what's going on or what's real and what's not. So you're just doing things literally just, it's just bizarre how you even can physically mechanically move. So basically I didn't have to do anything though. Someone just said to me, what do you think about this? And I just said, if Chump's family are the same as me, I guess the answer is yes. And Mm. then kind of all left in everyone else's hands who like my friends who were just rallying around and talking to the doctors and they kind of made it all happen. So it wasn't like I was busy doing anything about it. I was just 
when I first heard the story and hadn't read the book, I was kind of critical of the decision because I thought, how could you put that onto a grieving person? But when I read the book, I realised that really the only decision you had to make at that point, not that I'm saying it was easy, but the, the harvest, you weren't, for some reason I had it in my head that you had to do the whole bit at that time. Yeah. And now I realise there was space between it. Yeah. Yeah. So we just had to kind of say, Mm. Yes, and then it was up to everyone else. Like, I mean, look, I, I didn't know what was going on. My head mm. was blank. Yeah. But it was up to the doctors and everyone else to rally around and just do it. Like me and Chump's immediate family, apart from having to sign a piece of paper, mm. we didn't do anything. We mm. had to agree. And then it honestly wasn't even another conversation. It was like, okay, let's just do this thing and we'll, we'll think about mm. it like in a year or like when, you know, when our heads mm. land mm. back in our heads. Which makes more sense to me now, yeah. And really it, it then means it's a more considered decision because had you needed to make it in those 24 or 48 hours, I mean, God, it would have been way too much. Okay, I want to talk a bit more about Chumpy. I just want to say that I am a total scaredy cat right? You know, I'm not on a scooter. I'm not. Things that cause your heart to race are things that I would never, ever do. But there are people, and Jumpy was one of them, that that's how you live your life. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I'm a bit of a daredevil too, or just like sometimes... You know, I just don't have too much fear. Like, Mm. um, you know, I can't get on a skateboard though. Those things freak me out, but I can... I don't think too hard about much, so I just do whatever. Maybe I'm a bit stupid. Um, but Trump, no, he's actually a really calculated person and he right. he's super smart and super switched on, so he doesn't do anything radical that he hasn't thought about before. Like, whereas my brother's like a daredevil, he'll just yeah. kind of, friends will just be like, oh, I dare you to go and do this, and he'll just kind of do it. Chump's not stupid like that either. <laughs> His sport is super calculated in that he has to know how fast he's going before he turns this corner and then that the next jump is however high and the distance to the landing is this much and he's got to, you know, it's it's actually there's quite like a science or a, a method in the way that he's got to think. So he's, although he's like got complete balls and his sport is crazy, I mean, you can't just do it on the level that he does it unless you're like so, so talented and you train your ass off. He's actually really professional in the way that he he's calculated. He doesn't just do stupid things, you know. Mm. And so talk to me about spearfishing. I didn't even know that was a thing, right? Spearfishing, yes. Yeah, yeah. Massive sport. So, I mean, Chumpy innately is like such a water boy. They grew up. His family grew up sailing, like he's always grown up surfing and he got his diving license when he went as soon as he can, like 12, him and his sister did their course. They've just always like been divers, the family. Like I remember going on diving trips with them and if you don't see a shark under there by the reef, they're like pissed off. They're, they're devo that you didn't see a shark. And I'm like, oh, thank God we didn't see a shark. I would have shat myself. Yeah. And they're just they're like, oh, that was a bit disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> So he is literally like a fish kind of thing. He's he's like an athlete. He's so strong. He's so fit. Yeah. Hold his breath for ages. And I mean, that was his downfall that day when he went out spearfishing because he was holding his breath for so long under there. Tell me that how that happens. So yeah. what, what's the science of it? Explain that to me. I'll try and explain it the best I can, but basically he's, you know, holding his breath for ages down there. Maybe he saw, I'm not exactly sure what happened on there, by right. the way. Of course, yeah. what, I, what I predict. Maybe he saw a fish down there and he wanted to catch the fish because he was essentially going out to get us dinner. <laughs> and he would always come back with fish. Like it's a hobby, it's his sport, it's what he does. He loves it. 
And so maybe he just stayed under there for a few seconds too long. Like I'm talking, it would have been minutes, but maybe he really should have come up at like three minutes and he stayed down three, like, I don't know, however many too long. And I guess you do just lose oxygen to your brain at one point or another. And he would have just completely blacked out under there and just gone to sleep basically. And he had a weight belt on. So instead of floating, he sank. So he didn't get found for a while. When I say a while, I think it was about half an hour, maybe. I mean, Was he out there with other people? There was other people diving out there, but he went out alone that day, which is of course kind of so you usually want to dive with a mate, like you yeah. do you want to buddy up. But professional divers, they know the rules and they just, you know, you know, mm. boys just they know they think that they know what they're doing because they do and they do it all the time. And it's just one of those freak things. And I know I it's a really hard one to think about because I know that it was just this tiny, tiny error, little yeah. mistake that he made, and it just cost him literally obviously everything. And I hate to think about it because I know how much he'd be kicking, like obviously. No words that can describe how if I could just have a one-second conversation with him and what he would tell me about what he did or, like, how mm. how one tiny little millisecond could have been different. Mm. Absolutely, like, yeah, breaks my heart. But that's what I believe happened under there. Mm. And who found him? I, I believe it was a surfer saw him. A surfer saw the buoy floating above him, that he, mm-hmm. he had a buoy little blow up thing and a surfer I think saw it saw it floating with no one there for a while so he paddled up to it and realized that there was actually someone at the bottom of the buoy Mm -hmm. so I think he kind of pulled him up Mm. and was just kind of on the bottom of the ocean and you know he he wrote a song when he was 16 Mm. the first lyrics of the song literally says find me at the bottom of the ocean find me at the bottom of the sea I read Um, that in the book yeah actually just crazy to think that he kind of wrote a song on he wrote, mm-hmm. us, wrote those lyrics and that's kind of what happened to him like 12, 15 years later. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tell me about you and your growing up and where you thought your life would be. What, what is it? What were your aspirations and what were your dreams? Well, my my life was on kind of its path that I, you know, imagined. I I I always wanted kids, I always wanted a family, I always wanted like a nice house to live by the beach and to fall in love with someone amazing. And that all literally happened. I was the luckiest girl in the world. Mm. I, I really felt like honestly so perfect for me. Um, Trump and I just were so, so happy. 
And my upbringing was pretty basic. Like, you know, my parents were divorced. I just lived in between my mum's house and my dad's house with my brother, pretty Mm. standard upbringing, I guess, and met Chump and everything just was perfect. So not that my life is, um, so now he's not him. I'm mm. still doing what we, we like, I'm still kind of carrying out our plans. I'm, I'm still in our beautiful family house that we have. I've got our dog who's obsessed with Chumpy. I, mm. I, my heart breaks every time I look at her and I've, I've had our baby. I've got our baby, but Chump's not here. So it's, it's mm. this weird thing where I, I do find moments where I'm just so utterly happy and I want to be happy and I am happy because I've got our daughter and she's just the absolute best. So I feel like, I'm kind of carrying on our life and living out our dream that he's not here. Uh, that's what I found uplifting about the book is that your attitude to life really didn't change pre and post. Mm. You know, I think there's a, a, a sentence or a line in the book where you said, I, I wasn't suicidal. And I thought, no, because she's not going to be because she's not that person. Yeah. I, I mean, of course, people will have all sorts of feelings, but it would have surprised me if you were from what I'd read about you, yeah. or what you were saying. Yeah. Talk to me about that because that's a, a unique place to be, I think. Well, maybe it's just like a mindset thing or it's in my chemical balances. Like I've I've never truly had like a tendency to be like moody or depressive or no. have crazy like ups and downs just typically. So maybe it's just in my makeup or my jeans or or I, mm. I honestly am such a positive person. Like it used to mm. annoy Chump how he'd be like, why are you just happy all the time? Like why are you mm. always smiling? Like mm. stop that. Like mm. not really. He wouldn't say stop it obviously, but he'd be like, wow, like do you just ever get moody? And I'm like, mm. I mean, you know, I get my period and I kind of just stay the same. I went on the IVF drugs, the medica- like, you know, the injections and people like, oh, you might go a bit crazy. And I didn't feel anything. So mm. Mm. I don't know. And, and that's I, not easy. People say that's not an easy process. I know. And I feel yeah. because I know it can be just so hard on the hormones and you can be just Oh, being- dreadful. Yeah. So I want to then go from the sperm's being harvested. And that's one thing, right? You're in shocking grief. Tell me the journey from there to getting pregnant. Throw another spanner in the works. About a month after Chump passed away, we, my brother and I got news that my dad had just been diagnosed with terminal stage four cancer, brain cancer. My brother and I went straight down to Sydney where my dad lives to hang out with my dad. So we spent about four months down there. So I just, I kind of just, it was so bizarre. I was grieving so much and I was in so much shock still, you know, the shock was still just huge and I had to go down and just kind of be with dad and dad's exactly the same as me. He's really positive amazing person. I don't, I'm not saying I'm amazing, but he's like this positive energy. Like I love his energy. So he just wrapped us in love and he was dying and he just, he was grieving chump. He couldn't believe what was, we were all just couldn't believe what was happening, but we tried to just cherish each other. And it was, so I don't know, honestly, we were just so gentle mm. with each other and we had just had to be a family there and just kind of realize that life's short and we're about to lose dad. So like, let's just hug and you know, just spend quality time together. So it was a bit of a weird time that, but a beautiful time where we just still didn't really know what was going on. We were just in so much shock. And then I was, dad was doing a bunch of treatment. He was about to finish up his first rounds of chemo. So I was going to come back up to the Gold Coast and have a bit of a break before going back down to hang out with him again. And I just decided when I go back up, I'm going to meet up with this IVF doctor and I'm going to... um 
just touch base, see what, see what the goal is. Like, I feel like I could really, I feel like it's kind of time for me to maybe give this a shot. Mm. Did you have doubts at any point? Well, I know I didn't have any doubts. I just thought, Hey, let's give this a go. If it doesn't work, maybe it's not Mm. meant to be, but like, Mm -hmm. I want to try it. I want a baby. He wanted Mm. a baby. Like, you know, let's try it. I'm ready. I feel ready. Like, you know, Mm. It's a bit of an expensive process, IVF. So I thought, like, I'll try a few rounds, mm. like one or two or three. Like, I'm, but I'm not going to go crazy because you know I'm doing it on my own. It's going to be hard. I have no idea what I'm in for with IVF, and it, it mm. might not work out. But let's just give it a go. So I did my first round in about January that next year. So about seven, eight months after Chump passed away, seven months, and that didn't work. And that was really disheartening because, you know, mm. obviously any IVF journey, like when it doesn't work, it's super disheartening. Well, you had a, a double whammy or almost a triple yeah. whammy of grief. Yeah, um, exactly. It was a lot. And then I actually just went, you know what, let's just do another round straight away. Like no mucking around. Let's just, let's just go. So mm-hmm. I did another one and that one worked and I fell pregnant with Minnie and I had a, like, I think I was really lucky in that I had a pretty good pregnancy. Like I was a bit nauseous and things, but now that I've got her and I say this, and especially cause I'm re- I recount the story. Like when I'm talking to you right now, Cheryl, it's, it mm-hmm. was just so meant to be. And I realize that every time I say it for that to just work on the second round, like that's not often common with IVF. IVF's hard. Oh, I think that's uncommon. Yeah. yeah, It's uncommon. So I, um, I just feel so blessed and lucky that that worked. And I just know it was meant to be. I mean, she came out literally looking like him and she's just an absolute legend. She's so him. And I'm just, I know, I feel like that was just meant to be for me to have her. So while you were carrying her, so you're nine months of pregnancy, talk to me about that because you were still grieving then. So do you think being pregnant and having her, her in your tummy, do you think that helped with the grief or do you think that that hindered with the grief? I, I was thinking about it the other day. Is it a constant memory? But then, yeah, mm-hmm. how did you feel about that? I mean, I just think it's always so positive to have something going on and something to look forward to. So I'm pregnant. I've got to focus on my health and my mm-hmm. well-being and I've got mm-hmm. this baby to kind of look forward to and prepare for and put my energy into. So I definitely think it helped my grief. Um, and then, of course, now that she's here, it helps my grief because she's here and I've got her to put, yeah, my mind and soul into. But also it's just ever-evolving, the grief. Like mm-hmm. it's just, It doesn't go away. Yeah, I'm up and down all the time, but my um, personality, I'm just like, all right, like we've just got to get through this day and say if I'm having a bit of a shit day, I'm like, you know, we're just going to have to get to the end of this day. We're going to find something that makes us happy today or, or you know what, we might just try and chat to Chump today and do something that he loved or listen to some of his music. But honestly, most of the time we do, we just get out there and we just enjoy life. Like I'm very fortunate. I've got a really good crew of people around me and we've been going on a few holidays and we do fun things and Minnie has a pretty amazing life and I'm just so fortunate. Yeah. Um, I think people, I think you're a people magnet. (laughs) I think I just already had a good circle. Yeah. Thank God in my case, um, because I know it's not always like this when someone passes away, but everyone kind of got tighter even after Chump and everyone just rallied around and really supported me. And I I wanted everyone to feel not awkward after Chump passed because I know it can be such an awkward thing dealing with grief and I know people lose friends after they lose someone because people don't know how, how to act or what to say. And I 
I really didn't want my friends to be awkward around me. So, or like, you know, I just wanted them to be the same, treat me the same kind of thing. And I made that obvious. So I guess it was never, obviously it's such an awkward, crazy time. when no one Look knows. at you, look at you. You're the one that's lost your partner and you're the one trying to make everybody else comfortable. I mean, like, I just didn't want yeah. it to just, I, I didn't want, I wanted everyone to be harmonious in that moment and come together rather than it split people up. Cause you do hear horror stories. When my dad passed, we, we had, it, it really did. It did um, muck a lot of, like lots of people became kind of evil and th- there's this massive distance in our, like it was just a complete opposite to what happened when, when Trump passed away. Mm. So, Mm, but I think Elodie, that's you know up to you. That that's that's yeah. the way you handled it. From reading it, your story, I'm surprised. Well, it wouldn't have been any other way, I don't think. Um, why did you decide to talk about it and to write a book about it and to tell your story? Yeah, well, I actually didn't. I mean, I was always quite open with my grief on social media and Chump was already kind of like a public figure. So people were already sort of following my story and seeing how I was going and coping, I guess. And then when I fell pregnant, people just wanted to follow along on that. So it wasn't like I just went, oh, you know what, I'm just randomly going to share my life and, you know, just tell people what happened. It was kind of just an ever-evolving thing that people just following on. But with the book, I did get a few other book publishers kind of coming at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, if I'm honest, Cheryl, not really a book person. I don't read. No like at all. I'm like, I don't really know the book world. So I kind of kept saying, no, not, not for me. Like can't be bothered to write a book really. Like I just, I don't have the time. I've now I've got a baby. Like it's, you know, I, I want to put my energy into other things. Mm-hmm. And then Vanessa, who's the head of Hachette is literally a family friend. Oh, so she's wonderful. She's amazing. And she came, she was, I was staying at my friends in Sydney one time. She's a family friend through their family. She came over and she goes, Elle, like I've been trying to contact you through your management. Did you not know it was me? Like, can we chat about this book? And I was just like, what? Oh my gosh. That's just like, mm. I honestly didn't it was meant to happen. Not. Yeah. So I think maybe another one of those things where it felt really organic and it was meant to happen because when we got chatting, she's like, I'll find a ghost writer who's just amazing. Who's going to you know, work with you really well. And I thought, oh yeah, like we'll see. Cause you know, I just, I want someone specific and I want someone to really understand. I want it to be just so authentic. This whole, you, are, you want it to be your voice. Yeah, exactly. So I met Ali and she, she's my age. It was just perfect. And she just gets me and she'd already followed my story from the get go too, just coincidentally. So, um, it just felt natural and I spent so much time with Ali and she came up and stayed here with me and she was just amazing and it, it just honestly happened really organically mm. and it wasn't hard for me to tell my story to and all my deepest, darkest things because she just felt like a friend. It seems to me, and I'll be interested to know how you see it, but it's another marker in your grief, isn't it? Mm. I think so. Like it was quite, Mm. I was saying to my friend who's also a widow, Lottie, last night, she's a beautiful, she's, I call her my widow sister. She's over in Lisbon. She also lost her partner at a sim, at the similar time. And I was saying with the book, the book writing process was very healthy and therapeutic for me. I think, and actually the harder part of the whole book process was actually when it was launched and having to go and do Mm. all media and things and kind of having to, Talk um, about it. Yeah. yeah. Like just because like you you then just become 
like it's a story for everyone else. So everyone else is just consuming this, wow, this crazy story, but it's like my real life that I had to live through in that day. And like, I just get asked about it over and over and I feel like a broken record. And I think it's, that's the more taxing part. Although Mm -hmm. like I'm such a people person and I've met some amazing people in doing it. The book writing process was therapeutic for sure. Yeah. 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 And it's really such a lovely tribute to him. And I guess what you've got to, and you probably know this, that it touches so many people who are grieving as well. I think it's a, you know, kind of a handbook for people to read because as tragic as the story is, it's a beautiful story and it's a happy story as well and it's an uplifting story as well. Yeah, exactly. I always wanted it to just kind of like a friend in book form for any other grievers. I want people to know that they can... Or, or like they should embrace talking about people that have passed mm. and celebrate that person and just not let them turn to dust. Well, you know? you know, that's the thing with grief in modern society. We don't talk about it. It really is such a no-no, isn't it? Yeah. People just don't like talking about the hard stuff and I just yeah. I want to keep yeah. him alive. So what, what are your hopes and dreams for Minnie? <laughs> well, <laughs> I would love it if she can take after him and play the guitar or get into music. Yeah. That would be a dream because... I'm not that musical at all. She's already got a few little ukuleles and a guitar. <laughs> right. we'll see what happens? Yeah. Um, but honestly, we just we just want to live simply and easy. You want her to be happy. Yeah. yeah I just want health and happiness. Like there's yeah. literally nothing after what we've been through. There's not much else you can ask for than just like a a happy, simple, slow life by the beach, doing what we love, and just good people around us. You know. Mm. Elodie, we're out of time. Thank you so much for your time today. It's so inspiring. The book is called Heart Strong. Elodie Pullen, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Have a good afternoon. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.